Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Who's ever gone swimming in a river? Okay, and not just a river that you can kind of, you know, stand up in and you walk upstream, but a, a deep river uh, above your head. When you look at a river from the riverbank, it kind of looks gentle, doesn't it? But sometimes when you hop in, it can be quite swift. The picture on the screen is actually a picture of the Mackenzie River in Oregon where we used to live. I had a f- pastor friend of mine uh, jump into a part that looked really calm like that. And it immediately swept him down up against a log, ripped his shorts off so he was buck naked and he had to be rescued. It looked really calm until he got in. Then a little bit embarrassing getting out. Chances are in Ohio, if you're in a river, you can stay treading water in the same spot or or resist the current for a little while. But eventually your body is going to get tired. You're going to give out and you're going to go with the flow of the river's current. It takes great effort, doesn't it, to go against the current, and it takes no effort at all to go with the current of the river in life. So swimming against the current is a really good metaphor for where we find ourselves today in our One Big Story series because we're looking at Daniel. In our One Big Story series so far, we've seen uh, the Israelites go from being one person to a nation coming out of slavery in Egypt to wandering in the wilderness to crossing over that river into the promised land, building a permanent temple to worship God. Uh, and then all of a sudden, because of disobedience, they become greatly divided and their nation eventually is conquered, destroyed, and many people are taken into exile. The total number of Israelites at this point were a fraction of what they had been. Before Jerusalem was burned, there were actually three waves of deportations of Jews into exile in Babylon. Last week, we looked at Ezekiel, who was taken in the second wave of, of, of exiles. Today, we're going to actually step just a little bit back and look at four teenagers who were taken in the first wave of exiles in 605 B.C. Now, the book of Daniel, I think, is one of the most uh, interesting, most, has some of the most amazing miracles in all of the Bible, uh, and it also comes with some strange prophetic visions that kind of feel a little bit like reading Revelation at times. It's about a teenage Jewish prisoner of war rising through the ranks to become second in command of the most powerful kingdom on earth at the time. That alone makes the book worth reading. What we have to be careful of, though, is this. The book of Daniel is not really about Daniel. The book of Daniel is about Daniel's God. It's more than a hero's tale. The book is about seeing how big and powerful and sovereign Daniel's God, our God, is. Daniel and three other young men were taken as POWs as slaves and forced marched 900 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. It would have taken two to three months through the desert. Can you imagine that? What do you think was going through their minds of these teens while they were walking into an unknown future having seen their land conquered and destroyed again by this invading force? I mean, what the Babylonians, when they took over a country, they would often take all the educated elite of the country, the skilled individuals of the country, and and they would take them and they would indoctrinate them in the Babylonian ways to strengthen Babylon. Babylon. These, These teens were captured in war, hauled off to a new land, taken from all they knew, and they go from being the most powerful and well known of a majority culture to a look down upon minority culture in a few months. 
this is not plan A or plan B. This is probably not even plan Z. This is the last thing Daniel wanted to do. This is the last place Daniel would have wanted to be. These men were forced to go through training. Basically, it was the equivalent of a doctorate in Babylonian culture and language. For three years, they read the literature of Babylon, studied its arts, its customs, its sciences, its language, its religion. And in fact, after finishing this course of study, they were probably more Babylonian than most of the people who were born and raised in Babylon. How do you stray true to a God in the midst of plan D or plan Z? How do you stay true to God when you're forced to live in a difficult, opposing, dominant culture? I mean, following Jesus in our culture today is hard, isn't it? Is it hard for you? I mean, I, I sometimes, speaking to myself, when, I, when following Jesus gets comfortable for me, I know I'm probably not following Him anymore. Why? Because Jesus' teachings of, and, and the call He puts on all of our lives is to be like Him. And Jesus challenges us to the very core of how we think and believe and feel and act and asks us to change. He challenges how we treat others, the poor, anyone different from us. Jesus challenges how we treat political opponents, how we view our own feelings and drives and how we interpret and make sense of those feelings and drives. He challenges us to think differently in those areas. Jesus' words lead us to consistently question our motives and the ways we live life. And that's not easy. It's not easy at all, but we come from a long line of God's people who have been in the minority, who have to, had to swim against culture and against the current upstream to follow Jesus faithfully. We're reminded, that, again, it takes no effort to go with the current, but it takes great effort to go against the current. So that kind of raises a couple questions. What currents are really fine to go with in our culture today? And what currents in our culture do we need to resist? And maybe the most important question, what motivates you to have the energy to go against the current of the culture for a lifetime so that you can truly faithfully follow God? The book of Daniel shows us a God who gives us that kind of energy to live in the tension, and it is a tension, isn't it, of being in the minority and following Him faithfully. So, for example, we see Daniel going with the flow uh, when it first comes to Babylon and regarding to let his letting his name be changed to Belteshazzar. His friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Tebedwego, as we used to say growing up, had their names changed as well. All of their Hebrew names had meanings connected to their faith in God. But upon arrival, the Babylonians changed the names so that they would be more connected to the different Babylonian gods. The purpose was to help them forget their God and traditions of their homeland in order to help conform them to the traditions and religion and gods of Babylon. Han Han Hananiah went from God is gracious to Shadrach, uh, command of the moon god. Mishael went from uh, his name meaning who is like God to Meshach, who is Aku, again referring to the moon god of Babylon. Azariah went from God as helped to Abednego, servant of Nebo, the Babylonian god of wisdom. And Daniel went from his name meaning God is my judge to Belteshazzar, the divine lady or goddess who protects the king. The Babylonians were trying to change their very identity. 
by changing their names that signified we own you, and they wanted them to disown their God as well. So Daniel and his friends went with the flow in their name change, changing their language, receiving training in dreams and arts, and even studying a foreign, ungodly religion. But when it came to food, it's interesting, Daniel pushes back against the current of the cultural river. Now why? Well, the meat that the king's household ate had often been offered to idols. For a Jew eating meat offered to idols would have been considered partaking in the worship of that idol. And that's also what the Babylonian culture would have seen them doing had they done that. Plus, it appears that Daniel read the wisdom of Solomon when Solomon said, do not desire the delicacies of a king's table because that food is deceptive. It's probably full of sugar and it's going to give you a high and you're going to crash, right? It's deceptive. The pushback was not well received by the Babylonian authorities, but Daniel, as you read the story, worked on an arrangement where they didn't have to eat the meat. He couldn't control a lot of things about his environment, but he could control what he ate and who he truly worshipped. This is important. Again, the Babylonians are attempting to change the identity of these, remember, teenagers by conforming them to their ways. And this happens in similar ways for all of us in our world today. Culture tries to regularly conform us to the world around us and not to Christ. If our identity is not secure in God, we will find ourselves on a roller coaster trying to secure our identity by how we perform or our education or what economic strata we live in or what kinds of friends we have or how we look or a host of other things in life. For Daniel and his friends, not conforming in this area by refusing to worship the Babylonian gods, by not eating the meat that was sacrificed to them, prepares them to say no when the stakes are even higher later on. That said, we do see these four men going through training, immersing themselves in the culture in which they are now living, listening and learning. And this is really noteworthy. It's it's important when you try to understand a different new culture to take the time to listen and learn. Many of us don't even know some of the cultures that are right around us here in our own country. We We make assumptions about people who oppose our ideas based on sound bites that make us feel uncomfortable, not based on relationship and not based on really listening well. See, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all studied and listened deeply even to ideas and people who they would have normally despised. Their lives demonstrate a wisdom and a winsomeness because they understood their captors well. And they built such powerful relationships because they listened and learned. So let's look at some of the more amazing stories in in Daniel's life. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. No one could interpret it. He was so furious that he wanted to kill all the wise men, uh, including Daniel and his friends. So Daniel hears about it. He asks his friends, uh, you know, fast and pray and and ask God that God will give me the interpretation. And, And God gave him the interpretation. And Daniel gives it to the king, but he gives full credit for the interpretation being from God. He says, it's not from me. God gave this. And the king responded in Daniel 2 saying this, Truly your God is a God of gods, the Lord of lords, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. This is a theme you see throughout Daniel. Over and over again, these ungodly people recognize Daniel's God as the true God. 
Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel ruler over the entire province of Babylon as a result and placed him in charge of all the wise men, all of his advisors. Daniel appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel remained at the, at the royal court. But, but swimming against the current, again, it's not a one-time thing. Is it? it's, a, it's a continual thing. Continually, these men would be challenged to compromise, to worship other idols, and they continually chose to live well in that tension, and it really is a tension. Can we choose, as followers of Jesus, to live well in consistent tension. The next big story, many of you may remember, we'll uh, probably remember it from vegetable voices, right? King Nebuchadnezzar decided to build a huge golden idol, 90 foot tall, veggie tails made this a big deal. In the big ceremony, he demanded everyone to bow down to it or be thrown into a fiery furnace. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse, and it infuriates the king. And Nebuchadnezzar gives him another chance and says, bow or I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And we see their reply in Daniel 3. They say, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But get this. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, if we die in the fire and God doesn't rescue us out of that, then so be it. We're not going to bow to anyone but the one true God. Text goes on. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Not a pleasant expression either, by the way. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. In fact, it goes on to tell you that the men who threw these three into the furnace themselves died because of the heat being so intent But it then says the fire had not harmed their bodies, meaning these three, or even singed the hairs of their head. Nebuchadnezzar saw a fourth man in the fire when these guys were in there. God was with the first three who were thrown in. This is viewed as another Christophany in the Bible. A Christophany is an appearance of Jesus or an appearance of God in some physical form before Jesus' birth. Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed with the power of God that he makes it a capital offense. He just likes killing people who don't worship the right God. I don't know what's about it, but for anyone to say anything against the one true God. King Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. And God again gave Daniel the interpretation. And the result of it was King Nebuchadnezzar went crazy for a year, living like an animal, eating grass. And then his mind was restored to be in a right mind. And, and Nebuchadnezzar again credits his miraculous comeback to Daniel's God. After Nebuchadnezzar, another king comes into power who has this party and he pours wine into the, uh, into the chalices taken from the Jerusalem temple and they drink and get drunk and they're ridiculing the, the God of Israel as they do this and suddenly a large and mysterious hand writes on the wall these words, many, many, tekel, parson, and it's Daniel 5 and the king is frightened. He doesn't know what those words mean. So he asks Daniel to make sense of it and Daniel interprets it and he says, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting that very night the text says invading persians snuck past babylon's gates and killed the king overthrowing the empire you can actually see corroboration of that in secular history happening just that way in this later in his later years daniel serves yet another new king darius 
He's been faithful to follow God and yet keep serving in the culture God has him in. He's probably 80 years old about now. The other officials of the king have become jealous of Daniel because he's, you know, he's got the ear of the king. He's the right-hand guy. So they spy on Daniel's life trying to find some dirt on him, but they can't. They couldn't find any. He has no skeletons in the closet. Daniel was faithful and he was faultless. Wouldn't that be nice to see in our political culture today, right? I mean, despite no scandals, these officials devised a scheme to have the king issue a similar decree as Nebuchadnezzar's 90-foot idol. And this time it went like this. Worship any other god than the king, and you'll be thrown into a den of hungry lions. So from their spying on Daniel, they knew that Daniel had a habit of regularly kneeling and praying several times a day to his God with the windows open. Now, he didn't open the windows because he wanted people to see him. He opened his windows. He understood that he faced towards Jerusalem, and it was kind of this physical engagement of of, of believing God was big by opening his windows in that way in prayer. It wasn't something for show that he did. It was part of his engagement physically in his prayers. Daniel was clearly not ashamed of his faith in God, was he? Here's an important side truth from Daniel's life. Willpower is not endless. A lot of us try to live life by willpower, and that can run out. And that's where habits like Daniel had of turning to God and allowing God's love and bigness to fill us come in and are so critical. I love the way John Ortberg commented on this once. He said, habits will eat willpower for breakfast. Isn't that a great way to put it? So what habits do you have that keep you turning toward God and focused on God on a regular basis? These officials who were jealous of Daniel got Darius uh, through vanity to sign a law that said no one could pray to any God or make any request of any person for 30 days other than to him, Darius, their God, King. It placed Darius at the center of everyone's thoughts for 30 30 days. It's kind of absurd. It's kind of, you know, egocentric, but it stroked his ego, and Darius signed it. And despite the new decree, knowing the risk of being thrown in a lion's den, Daniel keeps his consistent pattern of kneeling in prayer. Again, kneeling was probably his way of saying, "I, I surrender to you, God, and you're the only one I surrender to and no one else. Of course, Daniel is seen by multiple witnesses. He's brought before the king, caught in the act, and the king is forced to follow through on his words. So he throws him in the lion's den that evening, even though he wishes he wouldn't because he loved Daniel. The king, unable to sleep out of concern for Daniel at dawn, wakes up and runs to the lion's den. In Daniel 6, it says this, As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, and get this, this is amazing, isn't it? O king, live forever. The guy who just threw him in the lion's den, he's praying for blessing for this guy. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me. As a result, the king makes a new decree, Daniel 6. So I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. So it's not like Nebuchadnezzar. He's not going to put him to death. He just says tremble, right? Shake. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. 
And then it makes this kind of closing comment. So the, this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So how does this all apply to our lives? How, do, how does this affect our ability to swim upstream in our culture, to not compromise and live lives of integrity as followers of Jesus? I think it tells us at least two things about what Daniel and his friends knew about swimming upstream for the long haul and following God in a really dark culture. That Number one, God is sovereign. God is in control. And number two, God is near. And God's got you. No matter how difficult or chaotic or troubling the situation is, even if you feel like life has gone from plan D all the way to plan Z, You can rest that God has got the world and He has you. God's not fretting about what He's going to do or what's going to happen. He's got a plan. He is near. He shows up in the fiery furnace. He shows up in the lion's den. He shuts the mouths of lions. God's got this. God's got you. God is with you. No need to fear. No need to fear. The story of Daniel and his three friends reminds me of actually parts of the story of James Stockdale. Many of you know his story. On September 9th, 1965, he was flying a mission over North Vietnam. His plane was shot down. He parachuted into the village where he was captured. And Stockdale would spend the next seven years of his life as a POW in the infamous Hanoi Hilton. As a senior, as the senior naval officer, he was routinely tortured, denied medical treatment, confined to a concrete cell, no windows, three feet by nine feet for seven years. When Stockdale was asked, how do you survive seven years of that kind of physical and psychological trauma? His answer was, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into a defining event of my life, which, in retrospect, I would not trade. Can you imagine saying that of seven years like that? I would not trade that experience. Daniel knew the end game. And we know our end game. Jesus said in John 16:33, In this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The question is, do we believe it? Do we live like we believe it? Stockdale also said another really thought-provoking statement that's just fascinating. He said, and I think it applies, you must never confuse faith uh, that you will prevail in the end, which you cannot afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, calls this the Stockdale Paradox. What he's saying is, confront the brutal facts and live in that reality with unwavering faith. And Isn't that what Daniel does? That's the kind of faith God is calling all of us to live in as well. We're going to confront brutal facts. We live in a broken world. And there are difficult, brutal facts that we are going to face every single day in some form or fashion that we need to be aware of. We need to honestly deal with them. And we serve a God who can overcome anything we face 
who can work through you in whatever current you are swimming against to make himself known in powerful ways through your life. So Daniel is fighting the current of Babylonian culture. Evil, conniving politicians, swimming against the pagan religion he's surrounded with on a daily basis, and yet he doesn't wage a culture war. Why? Because he understands that while he may be in exile in a really dark place, God is also there with him. His God is there working to win the hearts and minds of people. His God is there working through even the evilest of rulers and politicians to accomplish his purposes. Daniel lives in faith right where God has placed him in this evil culture in Babylon all the while being conformed to his God, not to the culture and the ways of Babylon. He lived in Babylon 70 years, 70 long years of faithfulness, of disciplined resistance to loving the people of his world that he was in right then, a long obedience in the same direction in a land hostile to God. The long obedience resulted in kings being generous to Israel and even declaring Daniel's God as the greatest God, even though they didn't really give their lives to following that God necessarily. They still declared Daniel's God the most powerful one true God. See, we won't transform our city or our nation by chance. We need to learn from Daniel's example of how he followed God. He didn't get caught up in mirroring the political combativeness of the surroundings. He flew above that by praying purposefully and trusting God to show up and being bold in his faith. Whenever a difficult circumstance came up, he walked into it and faced it, confident God was going to be there for him in that moment. He remembered and had hope because the prophet Jeremiah wrote, who he may have very well known, that God would not leave his people. He would bring his people back from captivity and restore them to the land God gave their ancestors to possess. But until then, until then, they were to live as God commanded the exiles to live in Babylon through Jeremiah when Jeremiah said, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for its welfare, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And Jesus asks us and empowers us as his followers to relate to the world around us in the very same way, to respond in love to all people in a way that we don't assimilate with the sin of the culture around us, nor do we separate ourselves relationally into our own cliques. Rather, we stay relationally and culturally engaged with people who we might even normally despise as evil, as threatening to our way of life. Let's go back to the swimming in the river image. Do you ever feel like you're swimming upstream today in America? Living in a culture that thinks so differently than God wants, a culture that increasingly threatens Christian values? See, I, I believe if we put God above everything else like Daniel and his friends did, we can see great things happen. I mean, don't forget, God shifted the nations of Babylon and Persia and all the nations they conquered because of how these four men lived their lives for God. 
It may take time. We're, going, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna be able to transform our city and our nation by accident. We have to be intentional at engaging to bring change. We can't bunker and be separate and hope our culture will just somehow get better and maybe see that we're better off than them by being separate. We have to be with people. And God uses all of us. He uses people like you and me in ways to help others, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, to see how good God is. I don't know all the ways that God may want to use you to take steps to, to seek the welfare of our city. Some of you might be like Daniel where you're going to serve political leaders with whom you strongly disagree and you're going to serve them well and seek their welfare. We might befriend someone whose ideas of morality are quite different than ours, maybe even offensive, simply because God asks us to seek the welfare of our city, of everyone who lives around us, no one excluded, the people we live around. We will make mistakes for sure along the way, but we can rest knowing that it's not too hard for God to bring change through us. God has come through before. He will come through again. Maybe not in the exact way we expect or hope, but God always honors our efforts to live for Him and swim upstream. Today we close with a song. It incorporates a prayer that, that God had Moses write that, that I'm sure that, that, that was central to the Jewish faith and their worship experience, a prayer that I'm sure Daniel and his friends would have known, and it was likely something Daniel prayed regularly, praying over the king, over the king's officials who were against him, over Babylon as well as over his own life and the life of his people, his church, his Jewish faith friends. I, I want you to, invi- to invite you to participate in this song and make it a prayer of blessing as we sing it to allow yourself to engage in the song and experience it in two ways. First, as uh, receive it as a prayer of blessing that God is praying over you and all the circumstances of your life right now. And second, I want you to join God in, in it as, as praying it as a prayer of blessing from you and God to every single person around you, to your family, to your difficult boss, to the people who make you so angry and frustrated, the leaders who aggravate you. Would you pray this prayer of blessing over them and worship now? Let's seek the welfare of our community. For those of you who are listening online, we're going to end the, end the online thing, but you can go to Facebook and you can see and click on a link there and see a pre-recorded version and you can join us in worship and prayer right now as well. Would you stand? Lord, thank you that that is the kind of favor that you give to us, that your spirit comes to us And you give us wisdom when we have no wisdom. You give us strength when we have no strength. You give us power. You give us miracles when we need miracles. Lord, you come to us. And Lord, you don't just come to us. You come through us to bless this world. And so, Lord, I just commission in the name of the Spirit of God every single person in this room to go full of the Spirit this week to bring blessing and favor and the welfare of our community, our friends, our family, wherever we go, that wherever our feet go, whoever our hands touch, wherever our voice is heard, Lord, would you bring your favor and your blessing. In Jesus' name.
We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.